Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing, so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. My goosebump recruitment process was really simple. We would have somebody applying for a job in customer service. So my question would be, Jurgen, do you love people? Typically, what you would say to me is yes, because you knew it was a trick question, right? So you'd say yes. And I would follow up with a question that says, okay, if you love humans, tell me a story. Tell me a story that would prove to me your love of human beings. And here's where the differentiation would happen. The person who intellectually got where I was going would give me a kind of terrible story, would leave me cold like a fish, right? So I just discard that person right away. The person who really understand the question would give me a story that was warm, that was passionate, that was truthful, that was deep, that was emotional. Guess what that story did? It gave me goosebumps. Guess what I did? I said, boom, you got the job. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Roy Osing, a former president, chief marketing officer and entrepreneur with over 40 years of successful and unmatched executive leadership experience in every aspect of business. As president of a major data and internet company, his leadership and audacious, unheard of ways took the company from its early stage to $1 billion in annual sales. Today, he's a resolute blogger, a keen content marketer, a dedicated teacher and mentor to young professionals. As an accomplished business advisor, he's also the author of the no-nonsense book series, Be Different or Be Dead. He's devoted to inspiring leaders, entrepreneurs and organisations to stand apart from the average boring crowd and achieve their true potential. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, the InnovaBuzz podcast, then go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel where you can access a free gift that my team and I made for you. A short audio book that walks you through every single step of the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. In our conversation today, Roy talked to me about 
strategic game planning focused on execution. He explained his hiring for culture via his goosebump method. And we talked about differentiating yourself through being the only rather than the best. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Roy Osing. Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from Anovabiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the Anovabuzz podcast from Vancouver in Canada, Roy Osing, who's the author of the Be Different or Be Dead book series. Welcome to the Nova Buzz podcast, Roy. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you so much. Very grateful to be here, Jürgen. Thank you. Now, I think there's seven books in the Be Different or Be Dead series, and, and one of them we were just talking before publishes, the latest one publishes on May the 31st, and I was privileged to get a um, pre-published copy from you to read through. So I'm really looking forward to digging into that. It's um, I think the... The thing that struck me about the book, it's not just kind of about innovation from a textbook point of view. It's very practical. It talks about your experiences and some of the things that you've done that have proven to have worked because you've taken the organization that that you build a lot of the case studies on. You've taken that organization from uh, where it was, which was kind of a foundering, floundering uh, company with an environment that was transitioning away from the business model that the whole company was built on and you grew it to a billion dollars in sales in in that changing environment so i'm really looking forward to digging into some of those practices and and some of the mindset behind that with you today before we do that um and i'll frame this in context i was watching a film a movie yesterday and there was a scene there where one of the loved ones of the family was um, uh, being laid to rest at a funeral and the comment was made by one of the people that she may have left us but the impact she's had on each of us will stay with us forever Uh, so what's the impact you're making on the world today roy well i think it's it's probably more of a i hope (laughs) that I am, um, we'll find out. But uh, my whole journey has been around this notion of being different, as you and I have discussed in the past, Um, simply because I think that there's so much um, going on uh, in in the world today, particularly in business, that is simply not good enough, given the kinds of challenges and so forth that we face. I mean, the reason I hit on Be Different was because, in my view, when my business was going through this incredible change is that we had to deviate from traditional stuff it just wasn't going to work in a new world and so I started asking the question okay how do we do things differently how do we break away from the pack how do we get rid of copying people because you know if anything copying just like perpetuates mediocrity does nothing to create innovative ways, etc. So I challenged everything. I did a 180. I was contrarian. I created probably <laughs> some enemies <laughs> along the way because they wanted to adhere to, to yeah. past practices and momentum. Change can and, be hard, and right? My, 
Yeah, my story is one of breakaway. I mean, I literally looked at everything I did and said, how, how can we break away from this? Because it wasn't going to work. And so I would hope that whenever this is done, you know, people have started to move a little more from traditional approaches to business, traditional approaches to careers, traditional approaches to families, hmm. uh, and moved off of that towards, why don't we try this? Why don't we try this? It's okay to fail. Let's take something risky. Let's do something insane, for God's sakes, <laughs> and just have a go, right? Just have a go. Uh, so the willingness to do that, Jurgen, if, if I could see evidence of that, then I would go, hey, listen, it's, it's been a good day. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. I love it. Um, w one of the things you talk about in the book is, uh, and, and you use this term quite a lot, audacious, and I, I really love that. It, it's kind of, it makes it stand out, you know, this idea of being different um, to survive. And, and I've got lots of examples that I've lived through in my corporate career where um, that wasn't done and it the result was pretty much some of those businesses don't exist today, at least not in the form that they were then and, and they were healthy businesses. Right. But I, I like this idea of, of audacious and you alluded to it just then when you said, you know, you probably made enemies along the way and that some of that is that's audacious because it's different and it's bold and it's courageous and all these other terms that it brings to mind. Uh, you talk about audacious leadership. Now, what, what do you mean by that? Give us a bit of a definition and some examples perhaps. Yeah, well, it's it's just, again, if you, if you accept the premise that what I'm, what I'm trying to do is get people to think in a breakaway mindset, not, not in a pivot mindset, just to lay that to rest. Like I'm not a, I'm not a, f a fan of pivot because pivot isn't audacious enough, quite frankly. <laughs> it's got like turn on the fulcrum. That's what yeah, I'm talking yeah. I'm, I'm talking about get the heck out of the fulcrum and start a, a new vector, my math background coming. Hmm. So, so I talk about things like um, um, being the only one, not one of many, hmm. right? Creating, not copying executing not planning like I've, I've written an ebook called execute first plan second some people may look at that and say well that's ridiculous well no the whole premise is based on let's figure out how to plan in an execution framework so that we don't spend all of our time utilizing our intellect and nothing else because quite frankly the intellect gets nothing done <laughs> Okay, it gets nothing. Now, I can take a mediocre plan, and if I execute it well, I'll beat the pants off you in the marketplace. If you think you've got a pristine, beautiful plan, you know, with, with iron-clad kind of sheets and everything else, that's, and then you, then you walk away from execution. And so the audacious piece is actually juxtapositioning myself against the momentum that's behind me that's created by the way things have always been done around here. Okay. Go, being contrarian, stepping out, looking at individuals and not crowds. I mean, let's face it, marketing for 150,000 years was based on mass marketing principles, mm. right? Target something at the mass market. Well, well, I don't believe that mass markets exist because the premise suggests that everybody's the same. That's well, right. Yeah. No two people are the same, okay? Mm. And so marketers need to figure out a way to be nose to nose with every person that they want to 
you know, launch their value yeah. proposition to. And so, you know, they used to call it one-to-one -one marketing. I call it nose-to-nose -nose because I got to tell you, you learn a lot more nose-to-nose -nose <laughs> simply yeah. by saying one-to-one, -one, right? Yeah. I mean, it's more visceral in it, you know. So maybe that's that's the other part of this audacious thing is, is injecting passion and emotion hmm. into what we're doing. And that comes from lighting fires with people, okay? <laughs> lighting fires. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way things get done. They don't get done by having huge business cases. Hmm. Jurgen, you know that from your background. You know that. I mean, you can't hand a business case to a frontline person and say, execute this. Yeah. They want to hear you explain to them why it's so important and they want to buy in. And if you can't get their fires lit, you can't execute anything. Hmm. You can't be audacious and the business dies. Be different or be dead. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah, well, simple so, as that. There's so much to unpack there, and and you're so right <laughs> with the planning part. I remember doing these massive strategic planning meetings and travelling around the world, and uh, not only me travelling around the world, but fifty, hundred, two hundred people travelling around the world to some location where we'd all get together, um, spend a couple of days. So imagine the cost of all of that, not just the travel, the hotel accommodation, the time that these people were away from their roles. And then we came up with this beautiful strategic plan. Sometimes it was published in a lovely glossy brochure. Ooh, and, and it looked pretty. It, it looked pretty. It, sometimes it looked really pretty. <laughs> and we went away. We actually went away. Sometimes we went away inspired from that. I remember one vision meeting that I was, went away inspired from that. And about a year later, I thought, Whatever happened to that document? Where is that document? <laughs> <laughs> it was in my bottom drawer somewhere. It hadn't oh. seen the light of day um, since then. And, you know, I'm a person that is kind of anti these kind of things where that nothing happens as a result. And yet that's, what ha that's where it ended up for me. And I'm sure it was in every other person that was at that meeting. That's what it ended up for them. So to then try to have people that I was leading in my organization or, or interacting with customers from a point of view of here's what we're all about and this is our vision and this is our strategy and this is the plan that we're going to execute. It just wasn't going to happen. I have a very, very simple way of looking at all of this. By the way, you've just described 98% okay, <laughs> of, of the corporations in the world yeah. okay, that spend 80% of their time trying to get the plan right trying to get the pan plan per excuse me excuse my hand <laughs> i'm trying to recover here <laughs> um trying to get the plan pristine and make it perfect why mm. because they've been taught to there's a prescribed way of doing this that's perpetuated by the education system and consulting community that haven't really taken a startup to a billion dollars in sales that, that is prescribed to be the right thing to do. So you go through, and it's pedantic as hell, you go through this process, takes 80% of the total time to actually get it right. And by the way, we have, we have been taught to squeeze the last, to take another day to squeeze the last 10% of perfection out of that plan, right? Mm. I mean, we will not leave until we're yeah. absolutely, <laughs> we goes around the room, yes, it's perfect, yes. <clears throat> well, the problem with that is that by the time you finish, you don't have any time left to figure out how you're going to execute it. Hmm. And so what I say is we got it wrong. We should be spending 20% of the time on the plan 
this will really upset people, uh, how ridiculous it is, 20% on the plan and 80% on executing. Now, let me explain why I say that. I'm a fan of let's head west, okay, as a good plan. A lot of people say that's not specific enough. Roy, you, need to, you just can't say let's head west. And I say, sure you can. If you have an execution mindset, you say, look at victory is, is, is over there, it's west. We're going to figure out precisely where at the end of that western vector success lies for us. And we're going to do that by executing what we think is the right thing to do based on the information we have today. And that's hmm. all you've got. And it's, it's imperfect. And so basically, the planning model that I subscribe to, that I've had to build to, to actually move this organization to a billion, is, is based on let's head west. Let's get it just about right. Let's start executing this imperfect thing and let's learn from it and adjust. Mm -hmm. So I call it planning on the run as well, right? So you execute, you learn, you adjust. You execute, you learn and adjust. And eventually, you'll discover where out west was right for you. But you yeah. don't know that when you began. You're just not smart enough. And it's not, I don't mean not smart enough, but yeah, you just you don't have, don't have sufficient yeah. hmm. foresight, which is kind of interesting, right? Because if you look, some, and some people would subscribe, you know, the, the vision to be good leadership. Are you kidding me? Hmm. Are you kidding me? That's not good leadership. You know, that's fooling the masses to say that great leaders have good vision. I mean, maybe there's a few of them, but there's not too many Steve Jobs around. Hmm. Or and used it, to be around, and, right? Just and not. even a lot of those strategic plans make a heap of assumptions, right? And and then, um, okay, the, we're assuming the economy is going to go up. We're assuming the demand for our product is going to increase. We're assuming this market is going to open up. Th those kind of assumptions that are fairly general. And, and those assumptions are based on some historical data and on people's opinions. And the moment one of those assumptions doesn't come true, or it may not come true in the time frame, because you not only have to be right about the assumption, you have to be right about the time frame that it's going to happen in, right? And the Absolutely. moment one of those is wrong, the whole strategy falls over. So the uh, And I don't think you're advocating just shoot an arrow into the air blindly. I think you're saying, what information do we have right now what do we know right now? Let's take all that and let's build an execution plan around that and an execution plan that we then learn from and we continue to add to that knowledge and fine-tune as we move forward. Is that right? No, well, you see, I have to be careful how much precision that I'm willing to have you imply, <laughs> okay? Because I, I am, what I am saying is, is the very fact that you're standing there with a bow and arrow, okay, and you're, you're, you're making a decision in terms of which direction to shoot, okay, mm. it means you've, out, you've actually thought this thing through as much as you can. Yeah. Okay, and you've concluded that that direction is the way to go for whatever reason, whatever your intended outcome is. My point is, make that call. Okay, hmm. and and if, if it's if it's if it's west southwest, that's good enough. I don't want to know the precise, you know, hmm. degree on yeah. on 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 the compass. I don't want to know that. I just don't. Nor do I want to know that it's five hundred and fifty miles out versus twenty miles out. 
we'll find out if the 550 makes any sense once we get going. Because I can tell you, if you don't make the first 20 anyways, it's not likely you're going to make the first, the last, hmm. you know, 420. And so let's just be a bit, bit careful. It's not mindless. It's thoughtful imprecision. Because that's all we can do, Jurgen. We can't, we we can't, we can't imply precision in a world that's that's chaotic, that's changing on us every every forty eight hours. Yeah. The example that you just used of of the assumptions changing, I can tell you what happens is the assumptions change, and somebody rewrites the assumptions, and they don't change the strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can't do that. That's why I have a different planning process. Okay, or my they, planning process. Or they come back a year later and they say, well, we didn't achieve the results we set out to achieve because this assumption didn't turn out to be correct. Absolutely wasn't my problem, <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, the, the economy bit me or a hmm. competitor did a bad thing to me, Roy. I mean, you know, so so the whole whole reactive capabilities of the organization, which, which I've written a lot about, saying organizations need uh, highly effective reactive cultures, and what I mean by that is you're never going to get the plan right. I mean, the people that say do it right the first time are aspirational crazies. Okay, because <laughs> in this world, you chances are you won't get it right. And it's okay to say you won't get it right. Because that admits that, 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 the, that the world is highly variable and imprecise and unexpected, right? The day you say that you think you can get it right says that that linear aggression formula and all the inputs and all those assumptions you know for a fact are going to be correct. Hmm. Not true. Yeah. Okay, so let's embrace imprecision in certain things, right? I'm not suggesting in, in terms of cardiac surgery, hmm. okay, but, but we're talking organizations yeah. here with, within an imperfect world. Let's get comfortable with that and let's figure out how to plan within that. And I did that. I have a really simple planning process that works in that kind of a world. Hmm. All right. Well, tell us about the planning process because oh, I, I found thank that fascinating. You for <laughs> <laughs> well, you've opened up the door there. <laughs> That's a lob. So what occurred to me is that, that the, the best planning process, at least it worked for me, and don't forget, I, I came from a telecom world that was voice-oriented, hmm. and I was given the job of taking this early this, this data business in the early phases into the internet world. Okay, so... One of the things we had to do is figure out how to make that metamorphosis work. We had to go from a, a voice world to a data world. We had to go from a voice culture to a highly, you know, competitive data culture. So we had a whole bunch of things to work on there. And so execution became really the purpose of me trying to figure out how to develop a plan for that new organization. So I, I came up with this thing. Well, we need a planning process that was built to execute. So what I did is I came up with a process that involved answering three questions. So if you can answer these three questions, only three, then you have a viable, executable business plan. And I call it a strategic game plan. Very specifically, a game plan because game plans are made to execute, hmm. right? They're not business plans. They're game plans. They're all focused on execution. So the first question was really simple. It says, how big do you want to be? Right? That's a question about growth. Where do you want to be in 24 months in terms of top line revenue? Not net income, 
not EBITDA, because I can I can monkey the in, income statement any way you want to get the right answer. This is top line revenue. Mm. That's the best metric of how the marketplace feels about your value yeah. proposition. Yeah. Okay. Where do you want to be in 24 months? Do you want to grow 50%? Do you want to grow 25%? Do you want to grow 100%? If you're 50 million today, do you want to be at 100 million? Do you want to be at 75 million? Now, this is a hard question for most executives to, answer, to ask themselves an answer because they want somebody to show them that there's a trend line in here, <laughs> et cetera, right, that they can adapt to and adopt. And I have lots of fun with, with executive teams trying to get them. The whole point is, the nature of the strategy depends on your growth aspirations, not the other way around. The classic way of planning is to figure out the strategy and then derive the financials. Yeah. The problem with that is most people don't like the financials because they're not bold enough. And then they change the assumptions mm. and they change yeah. the numbers without changing the nature of the strategy, which is insane, right? Clearly, if you want 10% growth, that gives you strategy A. If you want 50% growth, it gives you a completely different strategy. The risk profiles are different, etc. So I just got the kids off the street and said, let's get the growth thing nailed down. So we're at 10. In 24 months, we're going to be at 50. Are, are we good with that? And people will say, Roy, we can't do that. And I say, why? And they say, well, it's because we don't know how we're going to get there. It's not realistic. I said, that's what makes it a good plan. <laughs> if you knew how to get there, it tells me the number's not bold enough. Okay, because the source of innovation, in my experience, is I don't know. If you don't know something, then you are driven to figure it out. Yeah. That's the innovative process, right? If you know how to get there, what motivation is, is there for you to be creative? You'll go and benchmark somebody and figure that out and that's copying that's lazy that's bad business okay so we play we have lots of fun with that so we get to how big second question is where are you going to get the money who are you going to serve so this is about choosing the customer set mm. that has a latent potential to give you that revenue okay so, and that's a that's a really good because my angst is always about small is good or few is good fewer is better and that's because of the allocation of resources, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm. I'd rather go after three market segments or three customer groups to get the extra revenue than have to go at a more mass market, which doesn't exist anyways, yeah. as yeah. we just spoke. Third question. I'm just about there. Third question. How are you going to compete and win? This gets to what your differential, what you think your differential advantage is. And this is huge. This is a huge thing because this actually forced me to come up with my way of thinking about differential advantages, which is my only statement, hmm. right? So we can talk about that later if you want. But three questions, how big, who are you going to serve, how are you going to compete and win? And I provide the tools for every, answering every one of those questions. You can do that in two days. I've done it in two days with very, very complicated businesses. And you can be executing the puppy on the third day. Hmm. Boom. You don't need you don't need a huge uh, strategic planning team. You don't need uh, uh, to hire somebody that's going to take, you know, half your net worth away. You don't need to do that. All you need is your executive team with all the knowledge they have in their heads and somebody like me to pull it out. Give it some structure, not too, not complicated, get you excited about it and just hmm. let you go. Works like a dam. Yeah. And I think one of the things that often is missing in these planning meetings, the, the old traditional way, is maintaining that excitement 
afterwards and and i can imagine that building that excitement over two days and on the third day starting to execute is gives that whole thing momentum that it it does maintain that excitement because there's movement happening straight away towards that outcome towards the execution that's part of that plan well it's it's absolutely right i mean people will say i can't believe we did that i cannot believe that we're ready to launch this thing okay i can't believe that we've actually created this and now we're going to try and breathe life into it because we've never done that before the actual Mm. team building process you're going to going through this is amazing when people start to trust each other, because when you first start out, right, and you say, well, how big are we going to be? The CEO's <laughs> pressing for a big number. The soldiers aren't. <laughs> and so there's a lot of dynamics. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of dynamics going on. But when it's all over, everybody's joined at the hips. One of the techniques I use is I go around the room and I look look you straight in the eye and I say, okay, we are now going for $75 million. Jurgen, do you understand and agree? And if you even blink, I stop the whole process. Yeah. You say, okay, Jurgen, not in. Okay, we need to convince him or he needs to convince us uh, of that, that we should go a different direction. And that whole conversation takes place. So at the end of the day, you go around, you've got 15 executives in the room or 10 or whatever. Everybody says, yes, I understand and agree. I understand and agree. It's more than just symbolic because when you say that, you are willing to have your actions on the table and you're willing to be called by any other member in that that room on what you do and how you do it and so you're accountable you're accountable to everybody else in the room and and i i see uh vice presidents calling ceos to say hey wait a minute we agreed on this and I, the reason i know this is the process i do is would have quarterly reviews of this stuff it's yeah, just not let go that, right yeah i was gonna ask yeah that and so they would say yeah, I mean, so they would say, well, I saw I saw you do this and it wasn't really consistent with the strat- strategic game plan we just agreed to. What about that? And CEO will go, you're absolutely right. It was not consistent. Thank you. And boom, it was so it was cathartic. It was just amazing hmm. to see the dynamics uh, go on when you get to that level. And, and I, I've been trying to think, of, like, why is it so powerful? And it's it's because it's so simple. Hmm. I mean, there's no mystique about it. Everybody gets it. They understand the process. They learn to trust one another. And it's execution focused. It's doing stuff. And that's what people generally like. Yeah. I mean, after a while, the intellect gets bored of formulas, (laughs) right? And and also, people are skeptical that anything comes out of those big strategic planning meetings because they know you know this is the way they always go it's sort of okay we'll meet again in a year and the plan won't see the light of day in the meantime and we'll just keep doing what we're doing whereas this is this is as you say action oriented it it gets people excited and and it maintains that excitement because they're doing the actions and i'm guessing that there's um mechanisms built in to review so if we're heading west all of a sudden there's a fork in the road that we hadn't anticipated there's a decision to be made that 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 review happens to make that decision that's best in in the light of what new information is available absolutely right i mean a couple of points on that first of all there's a reason why i build the process around 24 planning periods of 30 days each that's two years 
That's mm. 24 months. But I call them 24 planning periods of 30 days. Why? Well, because that gets you closer to thinking about execution. Mm. That's what that's the problem with five-year plans. The fourth year never shows up. Yeah. It never shows up, right? Because, you know, people people will say, oh, well, we didn't get it this year. We'll get it next year. Hmm. Or the plan assumes that we get it in, in 40, 48 months anyways. Yeah. Well, all that's doing is just pushing the problem pushing, away, yeah. and it's just, it's just a joke. And so we meet every three months. It, it, sometimes if, if something happens in the marketplace that's really significant in terms of the impact on the plan, uh, we'll meet more frequently. But the other thing we do as well is, is we identify what I call a strategic hawk. Now, it's typically, um, I like to get the CEO to be the, st- the strategy hawk. Now, this is a person that owns execution. Hmm. You know, their, their job is to make sure that the execution plan that we spend time on comes off, that it, that it happens pristinely. That's the part you want to get perfect. <laughs> That's the part you want to get flawless, right? Not the nature of the plan itself. And so we have a strategy hawk. Strategy hawk's job is a tough one because they have to have a high tolerance for pain. They have to have high, high currency in the organization and they have to have an incredibly strong work ethic because execution is a really hard job. And it's a messy, dirty job. So they got to get, they got, they got, they got to love in elegance, love getting in the trenches with frontline people, and they got to do that. And and I've always had a bias that says it's got to be the CEO. CEOs can, cannot delegate execution to anybody. Well, I, th- I think I've probably been successful, like maybe eighty percent of the time, getting the CEO to step step up to that. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they just wiggle out and they try and delegate it, but. I always get a second strategy hawk and, and, and have a go that way. But if you have the boss on top of execution, guess what happens? You do a much better job of executing, hmm. right? Just to, I know just to I be worked, clear, uh, though, you're not, you're not yeah. saying that they do things in the execution. They're responsible for seeing that it's done. Yeah, so, they make so they, sure that everybody... Yes, yeah, they do. Every, they make sure that everybody does their job, and they hound them. They <laughs> micromanage them. I will tell you right now, certain things cannot be delegated to business development. You know that, okay? So, I mean, I'm a I'm a heavy uh, uh, proponent of what I call strategic micromanagement. There are certain things that leaders have to do themselves. They have to put their fingerprint on the organization, and one of those things is executing the strategic plan. They have to get engaged. They have to get involved. And, and, and I've, I've, I've personally been involved in, in conflict management stuff between departments it's as, as a bloody president of the company. I didn't delegate that. I couldn't. It never would have got done. It was my job to do it. And so a lot of this stuff um, uh, sort of questions the traditional leadership model. You talk about audacious. I call it do it yourself. There's a huge component of audacious leadership that is do-it-yourself, which is I call strategic micromanagement. Because my concern is that that the way people have been led to believe is that, that macho leaders delegate everything is bull, okay? Sure, there are some regular operational things that you can do, you can delegate. But strategic issues, you need to be owned by certain people and you cannot delegate that, in my experience anyways. And so you, you just you just got to get down and you got to do it um, because you're accountable. 
Hmm. Uh, you can't abdicate that stuff. Yeah, There's too right. much abdication going on. Hmm. Yeah, at some point, at some point, you can't um, delegate up or down, right? Or you can't delegate down or abdicate up in terms of responsibility, right? Somewhere it's got to stop, and somebody's got to own the outcomes. Well, that's that's a huge part of the audacious way of looking at things. Is it's not about what you do to others. It's about what you assume for yourself on behalf of others mm. is a huge piece of being an audacious leader. It's knowing when <clears throat> to get in, to get involved and put your fingerprint on things. Like, uh, let me give you one example. I came up with this idea because I wasn't happy about the, the, the quality of customer service people we were hiring. Because don't forget, we're going through this change where instead of taking mm. orders, we had to win customers, right? So the service piece, and as you said earlier, creating memorable experience was was huge so i was not happy with the quality of customer service managers we had and and we had some frontline people that clearly you know were were probably better off taking inventory than than yeah. dealing with customers and so i came up with this notion that i called goosebump recruitment and mm -hmm. what that was all about was trying to find people with this innate thing in their dna that that made them want to serve people they had the, you know they had this innate drive to lo to love human beings want to take care of them want to go the extra mile from them wanted to serve them my reasoning being if i could get a whole bunch of those kind of people in the organization eventually they would do what came naturally because hmm. you can't take you can't teach people to love humans yeah. <laughs> you you can teach them to smile Hmm. And you can teach them to grin, right? And you can teach right. them how to have smiles in their voice, but you can't teach them to love the person on the other end of the phone. I yeah. wanted to find people that loved them. Yeah, so I mean, the classic. My goosebump. The yeah, classic my course. goosebump. Yeah, <laughs> my Sorry. goosebump recruitment process was really simple, and I actually got personally involved in this. This is another part of Roy's micromanaging. Okay, where we would have somebody in the room who was, who was uh, applying for a job in customer service, say, and I would be part of the panel, which was a bit intimidating, not only for the person getting interviewed, but also for the other people sitting <laughs> around the table, because the president's in the room, right? It wants to, wants to know who we we're hiring in the customer service. So my question would be, Jurgen, do you love people? Now, typically what you would say to me is yes, because you knew it was a trick question, yeah. right? You just knew. So you'd say yes. And I would follow up with a question that says, okay, if you love human, thank you, if you love humans, tell me a story. Tell me a story that would, would prove to me your love of human beings. And here's where the differentiation would happen. So hmm. the person who intellectually got where I was going would give me a cold kind of terrible story, would leave me cold like a fish, right? So I just discard that person right away. The person who really understand the question would give me a story that was warm, that was passionate, that was truthful, that was deep, that was emotional. And guess what that, guess what that story did? Goosebumps, yeah. It gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Guess what I did? I said, boom, hmm. you got the job. In other words, I can teach you telecom services are all about i can teach you what a what a what a, a one gig megabit stream looks like what i can't teach you 
What I can't teach you is how to love somebody else. And I use the word love, of course, in, in brackets, but, but with that, or in parentheses, but what that has, what that brings with it is this, this whole emotional drive mm. to customer service that, quite frankly, is lacking. Yeah, the culture of it's caring, so lacking. caring for yeah. the customer. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was going to say the traditional customer service experience is you call a call center up and you'll get a script. You can t I can tell, okay, they're reading a script. Now, I, I usually only call up when I've got some unusual issue that is unlikely to be solved by one of their scripts. <laughs> and I get so frustrated <laughs> when they, no, no, I, I have to go through these questions. Like the traditional yeah, one yeah. is the IT. Have you turned the computer off? Have you rebooted? Have you checked that the power's on in your modem and all this? I say, can we skip all this stuff? Because I know what I'm doing. I'm sort of IT savvy. There's an issue with the internet. It's not actually coming in from the wires. Can you please yeah. sort of take to the next? Oh, no, I've got to go through this checklist. And, and I think, well, you know, they're doing a script. They're not, they don't really care about the customer. So what you're well, doing is basically bring people on that care about the customer. So whilst they yeah, might no, have... A lot of people yeah, a lot of people would tell me that that's ridiculous because, after all, we're trying to mechanize the whole world. Hmm. So, Roy, you can't possibly go against the use of artificial intelligence, right? Because that's the way marketing is going. That's the way service is going. Let's, I mean, how many times have you run into a chat bot that actually <laughs> gets it? Okay, so that's what you're saying. Only this is a chat bot, a live chat bot yeah, yeah. reading from a chat bot script. They're trying to algorithm. You can't. You can't create an algorithm for what you need in your moment, hmm. okay? And that's the problem that we've got, okay? And it's because everybody's trying to drive costs down. They're trying to shift the burden of work back to the customer, which in, in a lot of cases works, like hmm. I love doing it yourself, myself, but not when I have, just like you described, not when I have a problem. Hmm. I need somebody to talk to, et cetera, et cetera. But they're trying to script or, or chatbotize that as well. Yeah. And I find it intellectually dishonest, quite frankly, and I find it lazy and it's humiliating. I mean, we haven't even talked about the other part of call centers, which is so funny. You can be sitting, you can be sitting waiting for a service rep for an hour and you've already heard the message, we, uh, please do not hang up. We, we really like care. your yeah. We really care, right? <laughs> we care about your business. Yeah. Uh, pl please wait for the next one in line, okay? Yeah, yeah. Now, there are ways to even make that process better. I mean, I love the idea where you can you can actually put your telephone number in and they call you back when a rep's hmm. available. I mean, it somehow makes the process just a little easier, even though I'm walking That's around, right. boom, doing my thing, the phone rings, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm better with that. But... But don't don't try and BS me that you care about customer service, right? And when you have me sitting on a line, because what you've really done is you you've down prioritized service for cost, hmm. and so I got a huge issue with call centers. It's still being managed as a cost to be controlled, as opposed to a loyalty resource. Hmm. Now Tony Shea, bless his yeah. soul, and God may he he, he rest in peace. He had it figured out with Zappos. I think you and I talked about this story mm. before. My yep. favorite story is he insourced this call centers. This was a loyalty center. And he said, your job is to deliver happiness. Mm. Wow. I mean, how? You talk about inspiration. And he created that culture. 
Hmm. The longest call center call call in history was in a Zappos call center, and it was over an hour and a half with one customer. Hmm. Now, most call center managers by that time would be apoplectic and slitting <laughs> their wrists. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because they'd be thinking about their numbers. Look at hmm. I know. I ran call centers. I know what goes on. I know what goes on with average holding times and all this kind of stuff. And when the numbers went out of whack in that in that world, it was uncomfortable for the person because costs needed to be contained. Well, hmm. you know, I I couldn't have I couldn't have um, been able to achieve what we were able to achieve without the ability to actually pull the service lever to where I wanted it to go through people that actually gave a damn about yeah. delivering the, the... Well, to them, it was natural, though, right? Because mm. these people were That's born right, with the DNA. Mm. And so, you, yeah, yeah. You, hired, you hired basically for culture and then you taught them the, the nitty-gritty of the business or the yeah, bits and pieces exactly that they right. to know. Mm. Love yep. it. Exactly well, the opposite towards most people do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we've kind of gone deep into a couple of rabbit holes there and a really enjoyable conversation and there's a, there's a whole bunch of things we haven't touched on so i think we have to schedule a another session at some point i'm in a, i'm in yeah. You're awesome <laughs> but I, I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz which is our innovation round and and i mean a lot of these questions we've touched on so i'm sure that you could give us some uh, a bit of a recap or uh, um, something insightful to have the listener Take away an action and do something awesome today as a result. Uh, execution, right? It's got to be execution. Okay. And and the other thing is around the whole notion of be different. Like I, I would say to you, tomorrow, just try one thing differently. Just one thing. Not a whole bunch of things. Just do one thing differently. Get used to the feeling of stepping out rather than staying in. Yeah. Get used to the idea of standing <clears throat> out, not blending in. Just do one thing. Hmm. And also while you're doing that, give up something to make room for that, right? Yeah, Give up something that you've, yeah, you've got to get used to that. Yeah. I do that all the time. Excellent. I do that all the time. How can I do it differently? Excellent. Well, that, that sounds like my sort of last, almost last question, but we'll go through the buzz first and we'll come back to that one. What's the number one thing, and maybe this is the answer to that one, what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Well, you gotta you gotta be prepared to step out of the herd. Yeah, you gotta you gotta shed Did yourself you of the shackles of the herd. Hmm. Get the hell out of the herd and start acting as an individual because you have a lot of strengths that you haven't even begun to believe in yet because you've been captured in crowd behavior. So get out. Hmm. Excellent, I love it. Yeah, and really discovering those strengths. Yeah, that's a big thing too. What's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? How did you come up with a lot of these things? Oh, man, it's called the art of trying. I mean, <laughs> first of all, I understand that people basically learn things that are simple. And so I'm, I'm the simplest guy around. I, I'm, I do not look for complicated things. I, I try and figure out what are the triggers that are going to make people happy? What are the triggers, triggers that are going to get people turned on about an idea? And, and what I found was being able to communicate simply is an absolute key to that. Okay, not tr not a, not trying to talk in huge fog factor language, but in hmm. in key, often edgy. I'd get criticized for swearing now <laughs> and then. Big deal. Didn't care. Okay. The fact of the matter is that people got the message. So simplicity is key. 
Okay, and it's the interesting thing is when you when you take that journey, people look at you kind of weirdly and go, "That can't be right, Roy. That <laughs> that that can't work. That's way too simple." Because they've been taught that complexity comes in a formula, yeah. hmm. and I keep saying you can't formularize uh, a chaotic environment where people have got to act in the moment. You can't formularize a moment, hmm. and so keep it simple, step at a time, keep the passion and the fire going to stand apart if if you just do things like that you will be amazed at what you can achieve hmm. love it yeah keep that passion going and keep things simple don't overcomplicate things all right uh, right favorite resource do you have a favorite resource you use most often um well i've always been a fan of the grateful dead so if you 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 will remember who the great yeah Dead yeah absolutely were. yeah the most the most famous rock band uh, actually the most successful touring rock band mm. in history now, not too many people know about that but it wasn't the Stones etc it was a Grateful Dead now why do I love the Grateful Dead first of all probably one of the most audacious leaders around was Jerry Garcia he actually came up with a statement that that inspired me to in my only statement work because what he said rang true in the 60s and it rings true today and it says you you don't want merely to be the best of the best you want to be the only one that does what you do hmm. the only one not the best because who the hell knows what best means anyway yeah. yeah. so Garcia's leadership Grateful Dead were the were one of the most amazing marketing uh, organizations uh, and I've studied them and I love what they do. They were customer focused before social media even existed. They talked to their fans, Jurgen, all the time. And and they did things for their fans. Right? They weren't one of these new customer addict marketing organizations that spent all their resources trying to get new customers. They invested in their existing fans. Why? Because they knew that the existing fans would tell other people and they would get new fans mm. that way. Smart. They have got yeah. so many lessons for organizations today. So I look at my, my Grateful Dead books all the time for enjoyment and for inspiration yeah. and to remind me, to remind me that they were able to do amazing things in a world that didn't have the capabilities have the that we have mm. now. Mm. Grateful yeah, Dead, some, baby. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a, a whole episode in Lessons from the Grateful Dead. We'll have to, we'll have <laughs> yes, to there schedule is. that one in as well. Yeah. <laughs> there is. All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? I think we've covered a lot of this, but maybe you could encapsulate it for us again. Well, I think the, the most important thing is, is, is having an execution plan. Hmm. You know, again, getting the plan just about right, but bear down on execution and have that's where you want the granularity. Who does what by when? Hmm. If you have that granularity with a strategy, Hawk, you're well on your way to staying, uh, doing the things that you should be doing to breathe life into your strategy. Hmm. And keeping that fire of passion going for everyone. There you go. Yeah. Keeping the flame going. Yeah. All right. And final question is right up your alley. What's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? And I think we've you got to be the only one that does what you do, Jurgen. I mean, uh, we haven't even talked about that. We could do yeah. a whole show on that because it is so important. It's it's one of my missions uh, in life these days is to get people off the claptrap hmm. of 
saying that they're better, saying that they're best, saying that they're number one, saying that they're market leader. To me, that's a way to avoid accountability because you can't measure it anyways. Mm. Be right. the it only one. subjective that you, too, isn't it? Mm. So subjective. So my thing is, my only statement is real simple. Uh, it's, it's we are the only ones that. That's the key. That's the, the, the sort of claim that you got to figure out works for you as an individual because it applies to careers as well as organizations. And so hopefully at another time, maybe we can drill into that. But mm -hmm. I will tell your listeners that my website, BeDifferentEveryDead.com, has got tons of material and resources in there on the only statement I blog every week. I, I try and give his come at the subject you know, a multiplicity number of ways to keep it real for people. Um, but that's where I want to see people spend the time. It isn't about claiming that, you know, you're in business to save the planet. Hmm. Okay, it's not about that, right? It just isn't because what the hell does that mean? <laughs> really? And it's not about being in business to provide the best anything. It's to be the only one that does what you do. So we're, you, you have to be only. So think about it. I'm only. What am I only at? Not what am I better at? Not what am I best at? What am I only at? Okay, so I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I do have an only statement. And here's, my, here's Roy's only statement. Roy is the only author, entrepreneur, and executive leader who delivers practical and improvement and proven audacious, unheard of ways to produce high-performing businesses and successful careers. And it's absolutely true. Nobody else talks about it. It's my territory. Hmm. And that's what, and it, by the way, I didn't do that in five minutes. Yeah. yeah. You, you got to work at this you for a while, work at right? That, yeah. But I want people hmm. to do that. Let's do a session on only, Jurgen, <laughs> and show people how to do it. Excellent. Well, we might, we might um, come up with a way to do that inside our community. Um, so there you it's go. sort of for privileged people. Anyway, give us that URL of your website where people can go and find out those exercises or see those exercises and read your blog and, and also find all your books as well. Yeah, it's bedifferentorbedead.com. And uh, it's as simple as that. I've got pages, blog pages. I've got a thoughtful remarks page. So you can see what other people comment on about. I mean, I get people sending me an email. You're going to ask me how, showing me their only statement saying, Roy, what do you think about this? <laughs> So that's the other part of it. Feel free to communicate with me. I'm on roy.osing at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to have a conversation with anybody on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Hey, this is on me because it's my journey, and it's, it's my passion. This is not a commercial transaction. This is Roy helping somebody who, who believes strongly enough hmm. that wants to take the step, and I'm all about ha helping people who want to do that, and a blog. The blog's got a ton of stuff in there on on only statement on the strategic game plan on crazy things that I did on a heart attack grill in Las Vegas. I mean, it's got all sorts of fun stuff. Excellent. All <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we'll post post the link to the blog on uh, and the website on the show notes. And also, if you do reach out to Roy, mention that you heard him on this show so that he's got For some sure. context. For sure. Yeah, Please. It's a great show. All right. Now, what... Speaking of action, and you kind of touched on something earlier, but we'll see whether you bring us back to that. What action would you like our listener to take from today's conversation? Well, think, think just 
step outside of what you've been taught for a moment uh, in the past and think about what you've heard in the last 35 to 40 minutes about be different. Just think about that and decide whether it's something that you could subscribe to. Because um, I'm, I'm not trying to prescribe a solution for everybody. What I'm trying to say is that I've had extreme success doing things differently and doing things audaciously like we've had around this conversation. And so I'm offering it as a solution for people and ideas for people that uh, I'm convinced will work for you because they work for me. This isn't theoretical mumbo jumbo. Mm. This is real hard practical stuff. And so I would say, give it a try mm. and experience it and discover for yourself um, the joy and the benefits and the merits of doing it and then tell other people. Yeah. And let's get a movement going. Let's, let's get a, a be different or be dead splinter group movement. going in yeah. the world yeah. that lives and exists to differentiate themselves from the crowd. Wouldn't that be fun? Hmm. I'd love to be a part of that <laughs> that crowd. Yeah. That crowd I could buy into. <laughs> yes. Love it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, there, there we have it. Finally, Roy, who else should I get on this show and why? Oh, well, I tell you what. There's a there's a uh, there's a guy and I don't know who I don't know his name, but I'd love for you to get the person that owns the Heart Attack Grill in Las Vegas to come on the show and talk about why on earth he would start a business, okay, that featured triple bypass burgers. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Whose servers walk around in in um, in nurse uniforms. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the whole thing is done in that motif. And it's just totally contrarian. Hmm. The guy is just 180, right? Well, the reality is, I mean... I know about him. I, I'm intrigued by him. <laughs> I mean, I think I laugh. I would like to know his story. I haven't mm. researched him yet. Why so don't you get him on yeah. and have him tell his story? Excellent. Well, we'll we'll have to do some research to find find him. Yeah. Uh, which city are they based in? Las Vegas. Las Vegas. All right. Okay. Well, that'll give Heart us a bit of a point. Grill. Heart attack grill. Yeah, they're grill. on. He's. You can check out his website, and it's crazy. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> okay. They actually had somebody who had a coronary there. <laughs> and now he's okay. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I hope he didn't think that was advertising because it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, right. you know, well. I'm not suggesting – this is an insanity. That just, but it's, it exemplifies the nature of the beast, hmm. okay, about stepping out and be, being bold to step out. It's not a pivot. Hmm. It's not a pivot. It's it's like break away from that stuff. And he would be a really cool dude. I'll give it some thought as well. And if I can come up with others, I'm sure I can. Yeah. And I'll shoot you an email. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Roy. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights and your passion and your um, yeah enthusiasm for being different with us today for audacious leadership. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I sort of regret that we're already at our time because there, there were so many other things that I did want to talk about. But as, <laughs> as we've already alluded to, we'll do this again at some point and we may have a, um, a the one statement masterclass or something like that for, for our oh. community. There you go. There you go. Now you're thinking differently. I like that. <laughs> we could do that. We could build we could build an event around it. That would be fun. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Roy.
Bye. You're very welcome. And just look at thanks for having me, and I'm grateful to have a chance to talk to your audience. I know you've got a great audience. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful. Thanks. Thanks, Roy. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and really engaging conversation with Roy and most importantly took something away from his episode. Step outside of what you've been taught in the past and think about what you've just heard in the last 45 or so minutes about being different. Decide on whether it's something that you could do. Give it a try. After you've finished listening to this, do one thing different to stand out. Experience it and discover for yourself the joy and the benefits and the merits of doing it and then tell other people. And, like Roy suggested, let's get a be different or be dead splinter movement in the world that lives and exists to differentiate ourselves from the crowd. As Roy said, wouldn't that be fun? We'd all love to be part of that crowd, right? Roy's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Roy Osing. That is R-O-Y-O-S-I-N-G. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Roy Osing. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Roy, as well as links to his website, to the Be Different or Be Dead book series, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. If you've loved this conversation and this show so far, you know the drill. If you've listened to other episodes, you know that this is where we introduce the challenge for you and the action, the call to action. Now, if you've loved this conversation, and of course, why wouldn't you have loved it, and you think it'd be useful to one other person, then stand out. Be brave enough to share this conversation with that one other person. And then after you've done that, Check the 527 or so other episodes that we've published up until right now and go and find another one that you haven't listened to yet. Listen to it. Send me a message on LinkedIn telling me which one you picked and why you picked it. But most importantly, what your biggest takeaway was. What action did you take as a result of that? What was the transformation you experienced by listening to and taking action from that episode? Roy suggested that we have a conversation with John Basso. He's the owner of the Heart Attack Grill in Las Vegas. Sounds absolutely fascinating and deadly as well. As Roy suggested, we get John on a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So John, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Roy Osing. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode so that we can get to know you and why you listen. Also, it will help us make the podcast even better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform. And you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, 
go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel where you can access a free gift my team and I made for you. A short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.